0: So the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. It's chilly out there. We're, I mean, we are in it. We are in the thick of these crazy winter times with so much snow and cold weather out there. And if you're feeling cold inside your house, that's not good. That means you need to talk to your local Pella in Omaha and Lincoln expert by taking a closer look at your windows. You can stay stay warm and save energy with windows from Pella that are properly installed, the patented Pella way by professionals using window and doors with the highest energy efficiency ratings in the industry from Energy Star. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And the Nick Bomb Podcast is brought to you by my pals at Runza. There's only one more month left to take advantage of Temperature Tuesdays, and that's what you need to do. Every Tuesday, the temperature at 6 a.m. in Runza land is the price you will pay for an original Runza sandwich when you purchase a medium fry and a medium drink. I mean, it should be a Tuesday tradition for the rest of the month of February. So get out to Runza, take advantage of Temperature Tuesdays, and when you're there, tell them your friend Nick Ba sent you. Okay, it is February 4th. Uh, it is uh, in the afternoon, and there's there's a lot of different things to talk about uh, locally here with, uh, with Nebraska football. And a little bit of Husker Hoops and a little bit of Creighton Basketball. And I I always love talking to Dirk Chatlin because he provides such good big-picture perspective on things. And, you know, the Rutgers game uh, for for Nebraska to end their season, football-wise, was about six and a half, seven weeks ago. And a lot has kind of happened over the course of the six, seven-week span here. And I wanted to get Dirk's take on everything that's going on in Nebraska football and then kind of do a deep dive on – you notice how we've arrived at this point through three years of Scott Frost, where the, you know, the program's 12 and 20, and all the anxiety and emotions that come along with that. Hit a little bit of Nebraska basketball at the end. Hit a little bit of Creighton basketball at the end. But this is heavy Husker football. I think you guys are really, really going to enjoy this. So let's get to it. My podcast chat with Dirk Chatlin of the Omaha World Herald. Enjoy. On the line now, it's my guy, Dirk Chatlin, Omaha World Herald. Third time on the podcast podcast. Uh, yeah, you know, I I love I love reading Dirk and talking to Dirk. He he just you, you provide such good big picture perspective on things, and we need that right now, Dirk, because it feels like everyone's in need of a therapy session. Are you ready to 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 provide some therapy for people?
1: Well, first of all, Nick, uh, I just want to point out that anybody can be on the Nick Bob podcast once. Uh, <laughs> many many can do it twice, right? But to do it three times, I mean that's that's almost like an epic level right Uh, so i feel very fortunate to be in that exclusive group uh with with very few other people except you know kevin cooler's probably in that group you know there's a few that i don't necessarily want to be in there with but (laughs) uh, but most but mostly i'm very proud and uh i'm happy to be here on such a festive uh positive week for local sports when you know, Nebraska basketball hasn't played in a month and Creighton is hitting the skids and everybody's upset about Nebraska. It's just a great local sports time. Right. So. Right.
0: I know. I look forward to, you know, somebody ultimately emailing one of us or tweeting it. Why do you guys have to be so negative? It's like, well, <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, ultimately we're just going to reflect what is happening right now. And if we're being honest, um, there's not a lot of good things going on right now and it just is what it is and
1: and you know what nick i mean let's just stop for a second i mean i I started covering nebraska football in 2002 i mean what are the odds of that right yeah uh and you know you've been uh pretty steady in the in the sports commentary world now for for going on about you know 12 years or something like that it's like one of these years there's gonna be a breakout nebraska sports year i mean creighton has had their moments let's not ignore that but uh, Nebraska is going to have a breakout year where it's like, man, this is really fresh, and you know the positive vibes are are just kind of spread throughout the state, uh, and it's going to be really something something new to, to dissect. Uh, but man, it's it's pretty repetitive right now, and it has been the last five years.
0: Well, and I think we'll start you know, I just kind of, when I was preparing for, to talk to you, I just started kind of writing down thoughts and I ended up with like four pages of thoughts. So I don't know if where, if, if, <laughs> if, this is going to be like uh this, this might be jumbled and might not have gr- you know great flow and order, but bear with me. I think uh, I wanted to start kind of broad with kind of what you're saying there. And I just think focusing on football for a second. I think the fan base is in a really interesting mental place right now because, and we've probably talked about this at some point, but like, what makes this situation with Nebraska football so tough is I think almost every other coach's shortcomings or failures were easy to explain to yourself or wrap your mind around. You're just like, okay, Bill Callahan. Well, he's never been a, a college coach. He's an NFL guy. I can understand why that didn't work. Bo Pelini. Uh, he's never been a, a head coach. He's kind of got a toxic toxic personality. I can understand why that didn't work. Mike Riley. You know, 62 year old career 500 coach. He's never won big. I can understand why that didn't work. All of a sudden now with Frost, he's 12 and 20 in, in three years, and I think people are having a really hard time wrapping their mind around why this hasn't gone well, and and that creates a really uncomfortable place for Husker fans too.
1: It does, and I would uh, I would add to that a little bit in that I think Frost, more than anybody else, had such unanimous support from the start that it's very difficult for people to sort of, um, they almost don't believe their eyes that it's right. not working. You know, it's like, and, and I'm kind of that way too. It's like, it, it was, it was so hard to believe that this wasn't going to work because uh, it just felt like kind of a, you know, if it was a game show, this was like the last, you know, the last magic door that opens, and hey, it's your Scott Frost who turned down the University of Florida to come back home, and you know, it just, it just felt so good. And it was, it renewed and restored so much confidence to the fan base. I think I wrote a column a, a week or two ago about just how hard it is to sort of, uh, you know, grasp the fact that that Frost is losing credibility in a fan base that three years ago, you know, he could have he could have told people that he was, you know, going to average 80 points a game and people would have believed it. I mean, it's just it's just really hard right now, I think, to come to grips with where things are. Um, it would ordinarily be that way, even if you know Nebraska had had four consecutive losing seasons. But I think it's especially true because of how much optimism there was three years ago. And, and I think another thing that I would point out is just the fine line with all of this stuff. I mean, it's uh, people will convince themselves that, that things are going to be okay as long as there's progress. And if, if, I think even if Nebraska wins one more game this past year, even if they get to four and four, I think right. people would be able to persuade themselves that yeah, it's going slow, but it's moving in the right direction. Three and five was hard, and and you know, in reality, Nebraska was one bad corner or you know one Noah Vedrell appearance from maybe being two and six, and and at that point, you're maybe the worst team in the Big Ten. So uh, it's it's the program's in a tough spot right now, and losing some of your key performers on offense is part of it i think uh you know we've discussed this and i know you've discussed this too but um when when it's the strength of your program that's not performing uh it is a confidence jolt that is a little bit harder to deal with than you know than if it's the other way around and when scott frost the very identity of the program uh is not performing man that really kind of shakes you to the core and I, i imagine that it's shaking him to the core too uh as he tries to figure out what to do about it because the reality is his offense has not worked pace and space has not worked the quarterbacks he handpicked to bring here have not worked uh and and man when that happens it's it's got to be kind of kind of scary inside his head right now uh as he tries to figure out what to do about it
0: yeah and you know you're I think the column you're referencing is the whole, you know, Scott Frost is the coach that cried progress and just kind of him repeating himself. And I want to get into that a little bit because it was such an interesting column. And I urge everybody to go read it. And it's so interesting when you actually go read, I mean, because you went and found all the quotes and you read them, you're like, man, this is just three years of saying the same thing. And there's a couple of things to unpack with that. Like for Frost, I think... When you head down that path, I think in some ways he almost painted himself in a corner with his message. It's hard to say it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, and then all of a sudden go, actually, maybe it's not coming. Or you know what I mean? Like, I think in some ways he he painted himself in a corner. And then at the same time, I also sometimes think, I don't know what people really want him to say because you do have to project confidence but at the same time, as you pointed out, you lose credibility when you say something and then we see your football team every Saturday and it's clearly not true. And but I say all that to say that one of the things that was kind of a big red flag to me was: did you did you see he he did a media session and it, I think it was with the World Herald and, and the Lincoln Journal Star and he had really really strong pushback. On the notion that the defense is ahead of the offense. And to me, that is like undeniably true. And to push back on that makes me go, well, can I mean can Frost not be objective with the offense? And that's kind of where all this starts. Like, does he have so much pride and he and he identifies so much of his self-worth and identity on that? Aspect of the of of the team that he almost is living in la la land and everything stems from that because I just for him to really dig in on like no the the defense is not that far ahead of the offense really just is like really that just seems like water is wet the sky is blue type stuff.
1: I agree, and it's you know it, it was really jolting. I thought in his second year when he bent over you know backwards and. Uh, sort of twisted himself into a pretzel like a gymnast, you know, to defend his his sophomore quarterback who was clearly not playing well. Um, and you know, Frost made a lot of excuses, and and you know, Nebraska had a had a void of playmakers, and Adrian Martinez had an injury, and you know, that was sort of the start of it. And I feel like those those excuses have just kind of expanded, right? I mean, it's it's expanded to Cam Juergen's snaps, and it's expanded to you know, the receiver play and the running back play. And it's just like, at some point you just have to call a spade a spade and say, the offense is not good. Right. And, you know, Scott Frost, his offense is not good. And I think the, so, so pride is, is certainly part of that. Uh, stubbornness is, is certainly part of that. Um, and I don't want to, you know, suggest that you and I would be any different in that situation. I think the tough part is, if you make dramatic changes uh, that depart from your philosophy, you know you you sort of sacrifice who you are and and how you got here, and I think you almost feel like you've outsourced you know, your job to someone else or outsource your, your expertise to someone else. It's like, is Scott Frost really going to slow down and, you know, put two or three big tight ends out there and not run his quarterback and, you know, protect his defense and, and basically morph into Iowa and Northwestern. Um, I I just think he's probably going to have a really hard time doing that because he feels like, Hey, that's not who I am. And at the end of the day, you know, head coaches want to be, Who they are and how they got to where they are. Uh, but man, so I think the solution, more likely, you know, is gonna come from some some, I guess, slight modifications uh rather than a dramatic overhaul. And I don't know if I don't know what that is right now. I mean, when I look at this offense, you know, you see you see what they're doing from an efficiency standpoint, you see how often they turn the ball over you see the lack of, you know, firepower they have on the outside. And it's like, how does this get better? I think I think that's one reason that it's so hard right now in the fan base is it's just people are pretty educated football fans around here. And I think they look at it and they say, uh, this is not an offense that looks close. You know, they just, they have a hard time putting five plays together, let alone, you know, 20 or 30 or 40. And, and that's, you know, it, it's just hard to see how this gets better uh, with the personnel that they have in the program right now.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, it's a weird because obviously if you can't be real and honest about your situation, that's a problem. You know, the whole like the, the first step to losing weight is acknowledging that you're overweight. And like unless that can happen, then I don't know how much you're going to see a lot of changes But to your point, I sit there and I go, okay. When I when I think about off season changes within the structures of the program, there is a balancing act with staying the course. Like I do think there is value in that and making sure that you're always staying in your area of expertise um, versus recognizing that the results haven't been good. Do you when you when you put all that together, like do you think there should be big changes with the program? And do if so, do you think you've you've seen the reading the tea leaves that they're going to be? Well, I do see
1: some some stylistic things that may be changing. I think Nebraska is, you know, is is definitely leaning toward more big personnel. Um, you know, both on the outside and at tight end. You know, I think it's it's becoming less like the UCF and Oregon offenses that we saw and a little bit more almost like a West coast personnel. Um, I think they're going to probably attempt to to run the quarterback less and be a little bit more traditional and in their back game. Uh, but, but I don't know, it's, it's hard to see them departing too much. And I agree with you. I think, you know, he doesn't want to express panic right now. It's a good reason. Um, you know, we try, we probably think of this as sort of a make or break off season because we tend to do that all the time. The reality is it's not a make or break off season. Um, you know, Scott Frost could go five and seven or six and six this year. and, and I fully expect that he'll get another chance to fix it. Um, You know, and I think the offensive line, there's a chance that that comes along and and improves, Uh, you know, the longer you go developmentally with your strength and conditioning programs, the more confidence that you have. But but, man, I think it's just like a basic level of execution and fundamentals right now. That's so disturbing. I mean, it's like when you watch this offense, um, it just you know, you don't have to be. Bill Walsh to recognize that it doesn't look right. It doesn't function the way that it's supposed to function. And it's sloppy. It's turnover prone. It's highly inefficient in the red zone. And it's like, that just feels systemic. You know, that doesn't necessarily feel like you're a player away or two players away. Uh, That feels more foundational. And I think, um, you know, it's, it's highly possible The, the, the system that he thought was going to work in this part of the country against this personnel and against these coaches is just not going to work. Um, I don't, it doesn't appear that he's, he's quite ready to, uh, you know, to face that reality. And I don't know if we should as analysts be ready to, to make that final conclusion either, but, but that's kind of where it's, that's kind of where it indicates Uh, after three years and I think if if it indicates that even further after four years you know then Nebraska is really in a pinch
0: okay I, I do you think and let me let me kind of expand on this a little bit but do you think is is Nebraska closer than we think or further away than we think and when I say closer I mean just contending for the West you know winning seven eight nine games a year and What's weird is my eyes say they are further away than than we probably think, but Dirk, on on a weird level, the final scores say otherwise. Like, they think about everything you just said. Like if I if I described, hey, there's a Power Conference football team whose uh, red zone efficiency is awful, special teams arguably couldn't be worse, um, quarterback play really really in, really really inconsistent, offense has regressed to a point of where people wouldn't have ever thought it would gotten to you would think oh my god that team must be like Kansas football and getting blasted every (laughs) single weekend and Dirk they're kind of not like 12 one score 12 one score losses uh out of out of 20 total losses so I, I I don't know really where I land on that because I know I'm with you like when I watch it I'm like man this team's not good but then somehow they're within one score of Iowa and Northwestern and they're like close. So I don't, I, they're not getting run off the field frequently. No.
1: And then at the same time, they're, you know, they're getting drilled by Minnesota and Illinois at home. That's like, uh, right. you know, if you want, if you watch them on those days, like I said, if Nebraska loses to Rutgers, which if Noah Vedrill had played, I think they might've lost to Rutgers. Yes. It, Nebraska is probably the worst team in the Big Ten if they lose that game, you know? And it's like, whoa, we, you know, so they, you're right. They weren't that far away from beating the best team in the Big Ten West on their home field. Uh, if they get anything out of their offense at Northwestern, they probably win that game. And at the same time, you know, they were one bad quarter away from being the worst team in the league. So I, I think it's probably just the, the nature of of college football and of the Big Ten in some regard, you know, that you have Ohio State, at the top and and everybody else is just kind of a glut in the middle. Uh, Like you, I would agree that my eyes tell me that they were, that they are far away because I just look at sort of clean fundamental football and the ability to, you know, put, put positive plays together. Uh, And I think Nebraska is, is often incompetent. I think they're, you know it oftentimes it looks like they don't practice right um and that that's really discouraging when you're trying to put it put together a you know an 8 or 9 10 win season uh because consistency is ultimately what matters the most and and i think con, you know consistency um i think the hard part is figuring out you know uh, let's use a let's use a bad analogy here i mean I was a I was a mediocre basketball player growing up because I was inconsistent because I was I wasn't as talented, you know. Mm-hmm. It was it's like uh I think sometimes we confuse we think inconsistency is like lack of concentration. Uh and sometimes it is but but sometimes it's it's just lack of you know, it's lack of talent. Uh, people make mistakes because they're not as good as everybody else. Um, and so I think the hard part is figuring out, okay, is Nebraska in reality as good as Iowa as good as, you know, Wisconsin and they just, they're just messy. Uh, Or are they not as good as Iowa and Wisconsin, you know, because they just, you know, they don't have the same strength. And so they have to, the offensive lineman has to hold on that play because technically he's not in the right spot. The, you know, the quarterback has to, uh, he turned the ball over on that play because he couldn't quite get to the corner or because the tackle missed the block or whatever. So I think the hard part is figuring out why it looks the way it does, Nick. I mean, that's, uh, you know th- that's the thing that I continually struggle with is it's like is Nebraska is Nebraska really as good as everybody else from a personnel standpoint? Yeah. They're just sloppy, or are or are they sloppy because they're not as good from a you know not as good as
0: everybody else from a personnel standpoint? Well, so let's dig into that because that's interesting because I'm with you because sometimes we like to chalk up like uh, penalties is just about focus. Well, sometimes penalties are also like you know you hold as a left tackle you hold. Iowa's defensive end because you can't block him. You know right. what I mean? Like, are you pass interference because you can't guard Olave or whatever the whatever the case is? Do you think, because this is always a big, you get a, a lot of different uh, opinions on this. When you look at a roster, it should spit out, you know, you, you look at a roster, you get a feel for its talent level. And that should spit out like a an expectation level. Do you think, I'll ask you, like, do you think when you look at Nebraska's talent level, has Scott Frost gotten the team to overachieve, underachieve, got them to meet their talent level? What do you think? Cuz I like for, like I think Pat Fitzgerald has overachieved. You know? Like I think he's gotten those guys to play above their talent level. But what do you what do you think like if you had to answer that question? Well, I think
1: I think two things can be true at the same time. I think Nebraska has underachieved, but I also don't think that their talent is as good as as Nebraska fans generally think it is. Um, I think that, you know, if you want to look at recruiting rankings, I think the difference between number, you know, number three, uh, the number three team in the country and the number nine team in the country or number 12 team in the country is greater than the difference between number 12 and number 30. You know, I think there's a there's sort of a a cream of the crop. And then there's a pretty uh, there's a pretty big level. You know, from maybe 10 to 50 uh, in terms of talent, where at that point it really becomes about player development and um, continuity and keeping kids in the program and creating systems that maximize your players talents and on all that stuff I think Nebraska has come up short. Uh, I think the recruiting classes have, you know, have, they've often had a, you know, attrition that really damages the continuity and depth of the program. I think when you don't have continuity and depth, you know, it's really hard to have player development because you don't have the same competition that you would otherwise. Uh, I think something's weird, Nick, with Nebraska's practice regimen. They're just not, you know, like I said, sometimes they don't, it doesn't look like they practice. Right. Um, and and I think Frost needs to, needs to rethink, you know, the sort of the, the practice structure of how they do things um, not just from a physical standpoint, but just, you know, the whole thing, it's like, gosh, it's, it shouldn't look the way that it does. If you are, if you're really pouring in 15 to 20 hours a week of practice. Um, so like I said, I think that's complicated. I think Nebraska has underachieved um, but you know, at the same time uh, what to put it simply, it has concerned me for a long time that Nebraska, their freshmen come into the program and it, it looks like they barely improve from freshman year to senior year. And I'm sure that you've made that same observation. Yeah. Um, and when I, you know, when you look at successful teams, you see, you know, considerable improvement from, from year one to year four. Um, and I think, you know that that goes back to player development and all those systems that you create as a head coach, and and some of that really is just continuity. It's it's having you know the people in place that are going to build it over time, and I think Nebraska is going to give Scott Frost a chance to build it and to make mistakes and fix those fix those mistakes, but you know at the same time I think it's pretty obvious that Nebraska has underachieved through three years. Yeah,
0: I know it's weird. I think they've underachieved, but I I also and. Like I said, this is a classic thing where it's a two-way street and multiple two things can be true at the same time. But what's funny was, uh, so before that Rutgers game uh, on December 19th, before Nebraska was going to play Rutgers, for whatever reason, like two hours before the game, they were playing a Nebraska classic. And who can forget the classic of Nebraska and Rutgers? I think it was in (laughs) Bo Pelini's last year or whatever at at home. Um, But I don't know why I just like – I started watching it, and Dirk – I was blown away at how much more talent was on the football field. Like, even on offense, for a team that we we bitched about that team, you know, but like you had DeMorne Pearson L, Kenny Bell, Brandon Riley, Tommy Armstrong, Terrell Newby, Amir Abdullah, uh Seathan Carter. Like, I was like everybody that was on the field or touched the ball, I was like, oh shit, that guy's good, that guy's good, that guy's good. And I, then I then I turn on then you watch Nebraska and you're like I don't see the talent so I th- also like I don't know where I come out on it where I don't think there's any question there's some underachieving going on but I also don't know just how talented a lot of these guys are Dirk
1: Nick they basically just played a season of football without wide receivers right right I mean it's it's just the reality I mean they they did. Uh, not successfully, by the way, I don't think anybody would, would advocate for that, but I agree with you. I think Nebraska has, you know, has some talent deficiencies. Uh, and the funny part is it's a very slippery slope because if you look at that roster that you were just talking about, you know, five years before that, you would have said, Oh, you know, you go back to 2009, 2010, and you're like, Oh, you know, Niles Paul and Eric Haig and, you know, Roy Hallou and all these guys were way better than those 2014 guys. Right, right. Uh, and it's so, I think...
0: Yeah, you can you fall know, into that trap of everything was better, everything used to be better. But, you but know?
1: some of that is true. Because right. Because I think we've just kind of slipped into this, you know, routine where... Uh, because we're around it all the time, we don't always recognize the, you know, the deficiencies. Um, and I would use special teams and turnovers as a great example of that. If you don't, if you, because we follow it all the time, we often think that it's normal that Nebraska is, you know, giving up 40 yards, uh, 40 yards a game in, in special teams, right? Like they're giving up one to two possessions a game. And it's like, no, that's not normal. You're not supposed to do that. Uh, so I think sometimes our proximity to it, to it all um, sort of, you know, normalizes it when we need to be a little bit more big picture in how we analyze it. Yeah. Um, but, but I, but I, I agree with you. Let's, let's focus for a second on, on Adrian Martinez, because I was not, you know, we've talked about this before. I wasn't as high as on him
0: as a freshman. Correct. As I remember talking were. to you about that.
1: But yeah. how do you explain how do you explain the seeming regression or at least stagnation that he's shown as a quarterback over two years, two years ago, coming out of his freshman year. And granted, this is a head coach who's showing confidence in his guy, but Scott Frost was down in Kansas city and Adrian Martinez had just completed his freshman year. And and Frost made a comment that he would, he'd rather have Martinez than any other freshman quarterback in the country. Trevor Lawrence was, was the freshman quarterback at Clemson. The, the idea that, you know, at this point that you would rather have Adrian Martinez than Trevor Lawrence is, is laughable obviously. Uh, and yet, you know, that was the perception at least around Nebraska two years ago. How does, how does a player like that, who seemingly has all the tools that you would want as a quarterback stagnate or regress the way he has. I mean, there's the reason that I pick on Adrian is, is he's indicative, I think of the lack of player development in the program. That's consistent really over the last, Five to ten years. And, right. and I don't know how to put my finger on that, Nick.
0: Let's take a quick break to talk to you about my longtime pals and loyal supporters of the podcast, Pella Windows and Doors. Yeah, you know, Pella has a window type for every home and every budget. And you might know Pella for its award-winning wood windows, but did you know that Pella also has a complete line of industry-leading patented fiberglass and vinyl windows? Pella's fiberglass windows use a patented Duracast material, more durable than aluminum or vinyl made from a composite material used in the aerospace industry for its strength, durability, and temperature resistance. It's big time right there. And Pella's vinyl window series offer all the features that make it one of the most energy-efficient windows on the market with the same value and style you've come to expect from all Pella products. With outstanding structural integrity, built from multi-chambered, fully-welded frames and sashes... Pella's vinyl windows assure a quieter, more comfortable home. Bottom line, Pella's vinyl and fiberglass windows are really, really cool. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And while we're here, let's talk about my good friends at Runza. Got another super secret menu item not a lot of people know about. My friends at Runza are hooking me up, and I'm going to let you in on it. This one's just, uh, you know, this one's near and dear to my heart because it's a twist on the best fries on earth. Runza's crinkle fries it's Runza's chili cheese fries that's some legendary Runza crinkle fries topped with their homemade chili and cheddar cheese sauce let me say that again in case some of you passed out just thinking about it legendary Runza crinkle fries homemade chili cheddar cheese sauce oh my goodness it's a side that eats like a meal so there you go Another super secret menu item exclusively for Nick Ba podcast listeners. So stop in, order the chili cheese fries and runza. And while you're there, I'll tell them Nick Ba you. Okay, back to the podcast. I don't either. No, you're and you're totally right because the the main thing that probably leads leaves you scratching your head the most at how we've arrived at this point falls in what the heck happened to the program and Adrian Martinez in the spring or in the in the offseason of between 2018 and 2019. Like yep. what happened? Because you think of you think of the final six games. Now granted they weren't beating anybody great, but they started to look better. Like I think we all saw it. And the offense was moving and Martinez was looking great and this wasn't just local media guys hyping up their own player Vegas thought and national pundits thought Nebraska was going to be pretty good. And Martinez was a legitimate Heisman contender. What, what happened between the Michigan state snow globe game at the end of year one to the South Alabama game of the beginning of the 2019 season is you, you want to, you want to question how we've all arrived at this point it's that period of time. What happened there? I don't, I don't. And I think the way I've explained it is like, well, Hey, you know, Stanley Morgan and, and Divino Zigbo. It's like, it's gotta be more than that. Doesn't it?
1: Well, and where's the, where's the development. And, and again, I'm not, we shouldn't just pick on Adrian Martina. That's not the point of this conversation. The no. point is, is that it's indicative of a systemic issue that is has plagued Nebraska for a long time. Um, you know, it's true of, of Taylor Martinez. It's true of Tommy Armstrong. It's true of so many players have come into the program and not gotten better from year one to year four. It's like, what is going on? And with Adrian, you know, it's, it's decision-making it's, you know, he turned the ball over four times against Rutgers. It's um, it's the inability to complete throws that as an FBS quarterback, you know, in the big 10, especially you have to make, you know, certain throws and, and Nebraska, you know, quarterbacks can't make those throws for some reason. I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot of symptoms of it, a lot of, you know, signs of, of problem. Uh, and I don't know, I don't know the answer. I mean, I think, I think clearly, um, you know, to go back to the original point, I think there's some, there's some issues with the, with the schemes uh, and the, the system that Scott Frost thought was going to work here that hasn't worked. Is that because defenses are better than he thought they were going to be? Is that because, you know, the the it's a weather issue or it's a you know whatever? I I don't know, uh, but it it sure seems, you know, that if you had shown Frost this uh, this offense three years ago in December of two thousand seventeen and said, Scott, this is going to be what you're doing in you know three years into your run at Nebraska, I think he probably would have started laughing. Right. I mean that's that's not an overreaction. I think he would have laughed. So, I don't know. It, I agree with you, though, that it, it really does go back to that second year and their, their inability to, to develop players and plug holes that, uh, that really hasn't gotten much better. No.
0: Do you think, as we're kind of l- looking in the rear view, if, if, if Scott Frost could do one thing different, what do you think it would be? Like, do you think there was one decision, one game, one moment that you feel like sent things down this wrong path? Like for me, I think it's potentially both Colorado games. Like I think yeah. both those games go different. I really think we're talking. I mean, I'm not. I don't think we're necessarily have banners at, at Memorial Stadium, but I think those two games derailed things dramatically. What do you wh- What do you think?
1: Well, if you go back and watch the first half of that Colorado game last year. Um, I think you'd be surprised at how good Nebraska looked. Yeah, um, I, you know the, the the fact if you just watched the first half, and then you know went for a two hour dog walk, and you walked back in your house and you saw that Nebraska lost, I think you would have been shocked because Nebraska looked like a really, you know, like a bona fide top twenty five team in the first half. And you know to 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 point out one you know, quarter or one half as a turning point, I think is a little bit of a cop-out. Um, I think, you know, that, that confidence probably would have been uh, jolted against Ohio State a couple weeks later, no matter what happened against Colorado. But I do think that there is, uh, the program is mentally fragile right now. Um, it has been for quite a long time. And the thing that I keep coming back to, Nick, and the thing that I struggle with is it's like how is everybody else capable of putting together a great season every now and then and Nebraska just can't do it right I mean it's just stumble into one yeah
0: I've
1: beat this I've beat this horse dead uh but it's like good grief you know Iowa State just won the Fiesta Bowl you know Minnesota just beat Auburn last year and finished in the top 10 like how is Nebraska incapable of ever just kind of getting it rolling I mean you know we're we're both college basketball uh, you know, goofballs yeah. and, and and Creighton just, you know, Creighton just put together a season last year where where it all kind of came together in the end. And Nebraska, you know, had a season last year or six years ago, seven years ago, where, where it all just kind of came together. And yet somehow Nebraska football is incapable of ever having a season like that where it just it, it all kind of falls into place and and i just can't figure out why i I think the fishbowl thing is is a little bit of a cop out um i think the obviously the coaching changes have not helped but there's coaching changes in lots of places i just i don't understand why why nebraska can't just run off a month or two of really good football in the same season
0: right i I agree it's bizarre i mean and yet, it's so weird how fragile uh, this team's confidence is, I guess. I mean, because, you know, you just think of those two Colorado games. I, I know what you're saying. The first half, Nebraska looked legit in 2019 in Boulder. And then, you know, Nebraska spotted Colorado 14 points in, in 2018. And then for the rest of the game, I mean, I think Nebraska had 300 yards rushing and seven sacks and lost to Colorado at home. And you just, you know, for – it's it's a I guess an admission of how fragile this this group is that you point to two games where if if those games go different they maybe feel better about themselves and and things go start start kind of piling on each other like I think our our you know you look at Darren DeVries at Drake right now like I don't know how good that team is but they think they're good yeah and that's dangerous that's exactly right you just nailed it it's it's they think they're
1: good right yes. they think they're good. And, and for some reason, it works the opposite at Nebraska, where, you know, they think they're really good at the start of the year, and then it's like they get punched in the face and realize they're not, and as opposed to, you know, maybe being on the fence at the start of the year, and then they sort of prove it to themselves as they go along, and And by the end of the year, like Iowa State this year, that, you know, they're feeling really good about themselves. It's like it works in reverse at Nebraska. It is. And and then you start wondering, okay, what's, what is our role in that? What is the fan base's role? What's the media's role? What's, you know, the coaching staff uh, and the expectations that they put on the team? I mean, it's, it's sort of, you get into some, some deep stuff there that I don't know if we, I don't know if we know the answer to. Uh, I have a hard time believing that the pressure to win is worse at Nebraska than it is at Alabama or Oklahoma or Ohio state or Michigan, you know, or lots of different places. And yet for some reason, Nebraska seems incapable of handling it like a lot of those other schools do.
0: Yeah. I don't, I don't know how I view the pressure thing and the fan base's role. If there is one, I I usually roll my eyes at that idea, but I also like, I, I I remember this is going to be a name drop, but I remember at a shoot around a couple of years ago, uh, I guess it would have been last year. I was talking to Jay Wright. Villanova was playing at Creighton, and Jay is always really curious about like just fan bases and program, like you know, hey, what's the vibe around here and all that stuff. And I remember telling Jay, yeah, Creighton, Creighton will have a call in show after their game tonight, and they'll get you know they'll get calls for you know half hour, forty five minutes, and and Jay was like, wow, really? I'm like, yeah. He goes, man, we don't we don't have all that, and he even admitted that he feels like he's found this sweet spot where he's at a great program. And people care if they're doing well, but if even when they're doing well, the Phillies and the and the Sixers and the Eagles are gonna gobble up all of the headlines. Like he told this great story of like his very first big win at Villanova. He turned on sports talk radio and thought, Okay, here we go, they're gonna give us some love. And it made like, you know, the top of the hour sports update. It was the (laughs) Latin they're like and Villanova knocked off Georgetown. It's, it's eight o'clock and you know and jay was like oh so i guess that's how it's going to be and so I, I i just think even i think in jay wright's mind crate the pressure of creighton basketball maybe even ex- is greater than villanova basketball in some ways locally and then when you extrapolate that to nebraska football haven't hosted big Red of reaction numerous times like i don't know again i usually roll my eyes at the idea that the fans have some role to play in this thing but i don't know, Dirk, like. The, what's the one constant over all these different coaching changes and player changes? It's the fans. I don't, I, but I, again, I, then I'm like, what are we talking about?
1: I know that I, I, I struggle with that same thing. You articulated it very well. And the thing that I would say um, to, to sort of, you know, double down on your last point that what are we talking about? I mean, you played basketball at the university of Kansas, Aaron miles and Brandon rush, were far, far more prominent in the community in Kansas City uh, than than any Nebraska football player is now. Right. I mean, you know, it's, basketball is different. There's fewer players on the team. You're not wearing helmets. You know, every movement that you make is 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 a bigger deal. There's 40 games in a year instead of 10. I mean, college basketball players have been handling this for, for decades. Uh, the University of Alabama football team, basically hosted tom rinaldi in their in their parking lot for the last 15 years i mean it's right uh you know they, they're able to handle the attention they're able to handle the pressure and, and you can say well that's alabama but but i think oklahoma's handled it pretty well i think lots of programs have so um you know and go back to the 90s at nebraska you don't think there was major attention on the program you know in the 80s and 90s come, right. on. come on there was there was a lot more stuff going on you know than there is now and it was the the scrutiny was was far more intense. Um, you know, if Nebraska lost to Oklahoma and, and finished 10 and one after the regular season, you know, people were upset. So I, I do roll my eyes. And at the same time, it's like, gosh, you know, something is just like systemically wrong or it's in the
0: water yeah. because, um, I, I don't know how else you explain it. You know, you bring up the eighties and the nineties and I want to just, qu- I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, but I, you know, Bill Moose was quoted today. We're recording this on, a, on on Thursday afternoon here. And Bill Moose was quoted today on, on uh, you know, kind of going after the uh, the former players being critical of the program. And, you know, he, he told, uh, I think he talked to Sam McEwen, and uh, he said, quote, these players who are running, they're talking about the former players, former Huskers, these players who are running to Twitter and social media never had to go through the challenges Scott is going through trying to rise out of the ashes of losing football and you know i'm trying to be diplomatic. like i think sometimes bill moose never <laughs> helps frost do you feel that same way like yes i, I don't yes. ever feel like moose ever helps the situation for frost <laughs> he's a great quote
1: every time say every time i see a Sam and byline next to a Bill Moose headline it's like ooh, that's you know there's gonna be some good stuff there I'm definitely gonna read that right and yet like you said it almost never helps it almost never helps Scott Frost um I think you know he's trying to sort of fight the battles maybe that Scott you know doesn't want to fight himself but but I agree with you I mean rising out of the ashes Jeez. you know might be just a little bit overly dramatic um, you know, Nebraska football is in a tough spot, but it's it's not like Bill Snyder at Kansas State in 1988. So, um, you know, I don't. I think it's there's a
0: sensitivity
1: uh, down there that's been 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 there for a long time. I don't get the sense that there's a whole lot of scrutiny right now for Scott Frost. I don't either.
0: I guess I was going to ask you here about like all these former players. I guess maybe I'm just not following the specific no, former players.
1: It's, it's it's nothing compared to what it was. You know. 3 years ago with Mike Riley okay. or 6 years ago yeah. with Bo Polini I mean it's or you know god forbid Bill, Bill Callahan which was probably faced the worst of it um, so no I don't think it's it's intense at all and you know I think it's important for in In that situation, I think it's important for Nebraska to just acknowledge the struggles that they've had and be humble with it and say, you know if if i <laughs> I can understand why they're upset, we've been twelve and twenty the last three years, you know, we're trying to get better. We think we're making progress toward doing that. That's you know, it. it's like
0: that's what uh, annoys I, me, Dirk is like even you know, uh, got up maybe a week or so ago, Coach K kind of had a got in the crosshairs of the media because he kind of uh he was kind of a jerk to a student reporter after they lost. And it's like, the thing that I always get so annoyed with when these prominent figures get into kind of this, the crosshairs, is like, it's so easy to just, for Bill Moose to say what you just said. Hey, you know, every former player or put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into building this great program, and, you know, we, we want better results. I know they want it too, and we're all going to be pulling in this. You know, it's just easy to, to to turn it into a nothing, you know? And same thing with the Coach K thing. Just, Just... There's a way to, to to make it not a thing, and yet somehow you make it a thing.
1: Yeah, I think um, I think ego comes into play. I think pride comes into play, and when those things happen, you know, sometimes you you say things that you shouldn't say, and um, you know, Nebraska needs to understand. I think that uh, Scott Frost needs to understand that that people are. People are, are uh, far and away still supportive, okay, and I yeah. think um, you know really want him to succeed. I don't get the sense that there's any sort of you know um, almost political fights in the fan base like there was during the Polini and and Riley eras, where people were almost rooting for sabotage in some cases. I don't I don't get the sense that there's that at all with Frost. I think if there's a if there's an anxiety it's it originates you know in the fact that man if scott frost can't do this who can what's the next step for the program so um you know it's hopefully down in lincoln they understand that uh maybe maybe it takes a little bit of you know space and distance to recognize it but but i think you and i have probably a little bit better understanding of, of the general fan base than some people down in lincoln do right now yeah
0: Hey, by the way, and I mean, you don't have to divulge this if you don't want to. because uh, I did write that down on, have you noticed, uh, you know, because I, I do have friends who have who have I mean, we we'll text her in game days and they'll kind of say, like, I, I gotta kind of check out emotionally, you know, like I do think there's some people that are are checking out and they don't want to invest until they feel like it's a worthy endeavor to invest that doesn't mean they're like you know the classic sports talk radio caller of i'm done i'm never watching until they're good again they watch but i think there's a difference between watching and getting really wrapped into it have you noticed like how's the world herald's kind of consumption been with husker stories compared to year? is it still is it steady is it more is it like how's that how's that been for you guys
1: well nick let me give you a little bit of an education on the newspaper subscription no i'm just joking <laughs> uh our 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 readership is higher than it's ever been okay good um, and i you know i don't know if that's just uh i don't know if that's just you know would have been that way no matter what nebraska was doing or not i mean a ton of people are still following this thing okay. i do sense though anecdotally you know, I have a couple people in my life. Um, I'll give you, I'll I'll give you three different levels of it. So one is, is my son who's 10 and he, you know, he's not watching nearly as much as he did three or four years ago just because he's tired of the losing. Um, and I think that's important because that's the next generation of Nebraska fans. I think, you know, it's not just 10 year olds, but it's 15 and 20 year olds too. And I think that's concerning. Um, Another level is I have a a good friend who told me about a year and a half ago that he said, I'm not going to watch another game until they beat somebody they're not supposed to beat. And it was like, I think he stuck to that. It's like, you know, you you sort of uh, reorganize your weekends and you don't plan around those three and a half hours on Saturday as much because, you know, you just don't get the sense that it's worth all the attention and all the fuss until they beat somebody they're not supposed to beat. Um, and for the record, they, they still haven't done that. So I don't think he's probably come back. And then I also hear it from a third, uh, a third group. And I would a very close relative of mine who basically doesn't watch the game unless they win. He records the game. Wow. <laughs> he goes back. He goes back and watch it. He, he looks at the score afterward or find that finds out if they won. And if they won, he'll go back and watch. But if, if they don't win, he won't watch it. And I just think that there's a, a growing. Um, I don't know if apathy is the word. I think it's sort of a numbness um, yeah, it's a perfect or, word. or yeah. a sense yeah. that. It's just hard to watch, right? It's just not, I don't know, Nick. It's like, a, I don't know what the right metaphor is, but it it's just hard to watch the same struggles over and over and over. And the reality is if I wasn't, you know, as a, if I didn't have the same connection to it professionally, I don't know if I would care as much as, you know, as I did 10 or 20 years ago. I mean, life moves on and you find other things to do. And uh, there's a lot of times where I watch Nebraska football and just think, man, this is not worth the attention that it receives. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Sometimes I wonder if I because I mean, listen, you and I are similar in ages and we grew up during the, the, you know, I mean, shoot the heyday of Nebraska football where it was. You know in my mind I was like the, the the Chicago Bulls and the Nebraska Cornhuskers are the standard baby. You know what I mean that that's what it was. And sometimes I wonder if I didn't grow up in in Lincoln Nebraska in the 90s and have so many ties to the to the program and I didn't then enter into the sports media world where I have to cover the program, would I give a crap about like what I wonder I wonder how much I would even be invested in following and consuming all this stuff. I don't know if I would be as invested.
1: They've had four losing seasons in a row, Nick. Yeah. I mean the, the thought of that, can you imagine no. d- dropping back into 1998 and telling yourself that? No. I mean, the the anger and, and angst that people had for Frank Solich, you know, <laughs> and I'm not defending Frank Solich, but uh but but just how much it's changed and how much expectations have changed. I think there is a certain uh generation of fans that you and I probably fall directly into where it's just uh it's just hard I mean it's th- those were when your formative years are the years when Nebraska was at its peak and you look at the situation 20 to 25 years later and you look at what it is now it's it's just hard to to sort of grab your attention the same way that it did so like I said I'm really concerned not so much for guys like you and me but right, we're in. Uh, yeah. I, I just think culturally you know Nebraska's got to find a way to grab 15, 20, 25 year olds again. I mean, it's just, I, I'm kind of just as in terms of, I mean, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a Nebraska athletic department official, but, but I think it's really important that they find a way to, to sort of give young people some, some reason to, to jump back in emotionally. Um, and I think that needs to happen sooner than later.
0: We'll get you out of here with, with two hoops questions and we're done. Um, Nebraska basketball. I mean, goodness gracious! So are they? Are they even playing? Like,
1: are they? Are they? Did they just give up? Did everybody go home?
0: I think they checked out. They, uh, yeah, they, they, uh, they all opted out. I mean, it's nuts. Like, and you read the stories from Fred Hoiberg and his battles with COVID, and then you watch all these other programs who who are on pause. You know, I watch Michigan State. They go on pause. They come back. They can't even. I mean, they look like a JV team against Rutgers, and so like. You know, they're going to come back and try to play 13, 14 games in a in a month here. It feels like I can't assess this team normally because of when they return now, which almost gets us to the end of the season, which then kind of makes you go, well, you know, is this season almost, for all intents and purposes, kind of done from how you're kind of like assessing and digesting the program? Where are you at with Nebraska basketball as they're now going to make their way out of uh, out of quarantine and back onto the game floor?
1: Well – I hope that I'm wrong about this for Nebraska's sake, but I think it's going to be just a miserable gauntlet the rest of the, you know, the rest of the way, Um, you know, they're going to play a ton of games against really good teams. They're obviously not very finely tuned right now. Um, It's just going to be a, an absolute grind, I think the next month. And they've got to find a way They've got to find a way to stay together. Forget winning games. I mean, it's, it's really not about that at this point. They're not going anywhere this season anyway. They've got to find a way, you know, to keep the morale and spirit and unity of the program so they don't essentially have to start over again uh, this spring and summer. So I think that's the big challenge for Nebraska right now is just sort of minimizing the damage um, because I think the next month is going to be very, very humbling.
0: And then with Creighton, um, you know, so they lost last night to Georgetown. And, you know, it's it's weird, Dirk. I believe in this team. I believe in this group. But I also wonder if I'm basing a lot of that belief off of last year. Because at some point, like, they do got to gotta start consistently looking elite. And, I mean, you can make a case that the, the three worst teams in the Big East are Butler, DePaul, and Georgetown Creighton lost to two of them and almost lost to the other one in DePaul on the road. And, you know, they have to have a roaring comeback at Seton Hall. They get down 23 to six to Providence at home. Like it's, it's weird. Again, I I believe in this group, but am I all, am I almost getting to the point where I'm, I'm basing, this is all off of last year's run and not this year's run or where, where are you at with Creighton? Last, last
1: night kind of felt like a a moment where um kind of the questions floating around in the back of my head uh became Real. sort of clarified I yeah, guess or, or right. crystallized yes um and I'm not saying they can't pull themselves out of it but I I just I just have a lot of random thoughts one I think uh I think it's different when you're wearing the target on your back okay mm-hmm. so I think we need to justify that I think the There's probably a little bit of fatigue, um, you know, a sense that, hey, just get us to March. You know, March is it's the opportunity we didn't have last year. Uh, It's it's the really the big chance for the program. You know, I think maybe they're on cruise control a little bit mentally. Um, I I think to really get down to it, though, they, they they don't have very good depth. They don't have very good athleticism. They don't have guards who can really get their own shot or beat you off the dribble. Um, you know, Marcus has Zagorowski has, has played at the level or slightly below the level that he played last year. Ballack has played at the level or slightly below the level that he played last year. Uh, they just don't have a lot of guys offensively who, who can, who can get their own. I mean, Mahoney has, has expanded his game, but I just, I don't think there's as many weapons offensively. Yeah. Um, and that's an issue. They're not getting much from from Jones or Mitchell or O'Connell. Uh, there's just not as many offensive threats, I don't think. Um, you know, they're still like tenth nationally in efficiency or something like that. But but it's a slight drop from last year. I mean, I think they were second or third last year nationally. Um, and you know, the margins are pretty small right now. And and if if that means two or three points a game, you know, that's that's a couple games you're going to lose that you would have won otherwise. But but I just I don't know. It's almost like they're they're emotionally tired, Nick, which is weird because it's a short you know a shortened season. Uh, and the only thing that I can point to is is one that, like I said, they're they're sort of the the hunted instead of the hunter. And then secondly you know, they're just kind of pacing themselves for March or they're just waiting for March. And and as much as you don't want to admit that sometimes as a team, I think that's just the reality, especially when they kind of had that opportunity taken away from them a year ago.
0: Yeah, you're right. I mean, sometimes teams like that, they, they do just want to get to March. And I feel like they kind of, they they paid their dues last year. And like you said, they didn't get a chance for their, their moment in the sun in March. And they just wanted to, they want to kind of get back to that point. Maybe, I don't know. I just... But I'm with you. I think they missed Tyshawn They missed Tyshawn offensively way more than I maybe anticipated they would. I actually Bingo. think they're yep. better defensively as as a as a group. And I think the numbers would probably bear that out, although they, they couldn't guard Georgetown last night. Uh but yeah, they uh you know, they don't have they I mean you've seen at times Coach McDermott's had to throw Sharif Mitchell out there with Marcus. Just to provide another guard that can come off a ball screen and create. You know, yep. like that's not really Mitch's game. Denzel's gonna come off, he's looking to shoot. Um, you know, Damien Damien's an isolation mismatch creator, if that makes sense. And I think that you just man, when you had when you had two guards, you could have Marcus and Tyshawn making plays. It it raised the whole level of them offensively, and it just I don't know for whatever this this team hasn't hit that hit that elite consistent high highs that they they have last year, and it's 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 interesting. It's I'm not ready to I'm not out on them by any stretch, but I'm with you. Like watching that Georgetown game last night, there was a lot of a lot of those lingering questions in the back of your head. Were like some of this stuff is yeah, like I don't know. This isn't necessarily. We're not making a mountain out of a molehill here. There's some, there's some valid concerns with this team.
1: Yeah, no, I think they're, they're, they're a creator short. Um, I think athletically, they're just not quite at the level that, you know, that you, the typical top 10, top 15 teams are, I mean, they're just not. Um, right. And I like their front court athleticism, but I'm mostly
0: talking about the back court. Yeah. Mitch and Marcus just aren't very athletic. You know, they're just, no, they're
1: and, and, and Marcus, you know, I mean, I don't want to dog on him because I know he's been through an injury and but that was a guy that you know with Taishan gone, you really needed to make a big jump you know you needed him to be an all america candidate and he's he's not done that no. so um I think unless he does do that, you know you're really kind of in a bind when you get to march because as as you have said and and definitely understand better than I do I mean march is about is about dominant guards right and it's about having guys you know who can take over a game when you have to take it over and And I just don't know if Marcus can do that uh, the way that he's played the first, you know, two months of the season.
0: It's weird. I mean, I could if if you told me right now, hey, they're going to make a run to the second weekend of the tournament and, you know, and get to the Elite Eight. I'd be like, yeah, okay. I I don't that doesn't shock me. But if you also told me they're going to get bounced again in the first round, I would say based on what I've seen, that wouldn't necessarily shock me either. I think they're they're. Right now, their, uh, their range of outcomes in March is, is wider than I would have ever thought it would have been heading into the year. So. Well,
1: and the flip, the flip side of this is, you know, as, as Michael Severe pointed out last night when I raised concern about these issues, um, you know, this is college basketball this year, and everybody's kind of in the same boat. Um, it's going to depend on matchups in March, maybe more than ever before. Um, I think, you know, Creighton's margin – Is just really small. I think if they, you know, if they win most of their NCAA tournament games, I think, are going to be, you know, probably decided by a couple possessions here and there. And and that's just that's just sort of randomness. I mean, I hate to say that, but it's it is just kind of randomness. They haven't they're not dominant or overwhelming enough where you can just say they're going to beat that team you know they're going to beat that team right there. Uh, it's going to come down to a couple things here and there and and I sure would feel better about them, you know, if they were a little bit more dominant athletically and had better guard play and you know, if if uh if Ballack, you know, if you knew what you're getting from him every night. There's lots of different factors, but but I think the reality is it's just going <laughs> to, you know, you're going to be in a tie game in the second round of the NCAA tournament and there's going to be five minutes left and it's like, okay, can they make the place to win the game? Right. Uh, and that's, that's sort of college basketball in the essence of it right now.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's like the Kansas game just close late. They didn't make the place. They lost, you know, Seton hall. They, they made a, a, you know, a run. It was close late. Marcus made a shot. Mitch made a shot and they won like, I know people hate the, to to render it that simple, but it is kind of that simple, and so we'll see what ends up uh, what ends up happening here, Dirk. I mean, we went an hour, man, as an hour therapy session. I'll send you the check for uh, you, my therapist, <laughs> man. I appreciate you, dude.
1: We'll we'll do it again in a few months when somehow the local sports teams are doing even worse than we thought. So.
0: <laughs> I love it, Dirk Chatlin. Go read his stuff. Uh, buy a paper. Uh, go to Omaha.com, Get a subscription, Dirk. Great stuff as always, man. Thank you. Okay. See you later, Nick.